Hello again, and welcome to another episode of A Thousand and One by One, where each week we take a film out of the book, A Thousand and One Movies You Must See Before You Die, discuss it, analyze it, and ultimately decide whether or not it should be in the book. My name is Adam St. John. With us in spirit, as always, is Ian Woodington, and I am delighted to bring back a former guest and former host of show that we were guests on, uh, Mike Emmel, who hosts Cinemust. Mike, how are you doing? I'm pretty good. How are you, Adam? I'm I'm good. I'm good. We were talking a little bit before we were recording. We we are you know we're we're doing the the busy parent thing, so it's nice to kind of take a step back and chill and sit down and talk about uh, a, a rollicking film that is The Great Escape. Um, which again was was chosen um, because this was one of Ian's favorite films. Now, before we launch into kind of the normal thing, uh, I, I re-listened. So, so Mike was a guest on our Bad Day at Black Rock episode, and I I re-listened to that episode earlier this week. And when we got to the part of the show where we talk about what else the director has in the book, I mentioned The Great Escape, which I knew Ian liked before this moment, but Ian said. And I quote that the great escape is a top 10 film of all time. And that that was a hill that he would die on. And you know, he, he stuck to his guns. He gave me, he gave me a lot of crap for not having seen this movie. Um, and, and so, so now it's, it's become a part of this, um, this tribute series that we are doing to him. Um, Mike, I'm going to, I'm going to just pass the baton to you for a second. Um, I'd, I'd love it. At first, you could just want to tell people a little bit about Cinemus if they don't know it already, because we f- we don't follow similar formats, but we have similar inspiration for our podcasts. Yeah, and we're even not that different. Um, like you guys at Cinemus, we are also discussing films found in the 1001 Movies You Must See Before You Die book. Um, one of the differences is I pull from a list of every movie that's ever been in there, and I know you guys just work off of the strict 1001 of the most current edition Um, But we, I mean, we do the same thing. We talk about the movies. We discuss are are these really must-see movies. And by the end of the show, we turn it over to the audience to make that final decision. Is the movie actually essential cinema? Or is it just really good? You recommend it to a lot of people? Or is it really, really overrated? So um, you can find the show anywhere you're listening to podcasts. And to cast your vote in those polls to decide if the movies we're talking week to week are essential, um, just follow us on any social media platform you prefer. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. All of us, you can just search for Cinemus. And every Friday after we've got an episode out, that's where you cast your votes. Um, so I'm, I'll, I'm a little hazy on my release dates right now, but you're either going to be hearing about Jezebel or Touch of Evil is the, the newest show we've got up for potential must-see status. So if anybody wants to pop on over to our uh, social media pages at cinemas and cast their vote on those movies i'd love to have everyone's opinions yeah jezebel is a film that i know of and obviously and we have a touch of evil is uh, an episode that we did Mm -hmm. um which and like i mentioned uh, i mentioned last week when i was talking to kieran at best picture cast um uh Lawrence of Arabia was one that if we got to it would have been more because Ian really wanted to get to it. Mm-hmm. Um, Touch of Evil was one that we did because Ian was clamoring to get at it. Now, and I like Touch of Evil, but that was oh. one that he was like, we're doing Touch of Evil. I was like, <laughs> yes, why not? Let's do it. Um, it was hard to resist when he got enthusiastic about something. It's, I mean, it's why I called dibs on The Great Escape Show. It's for exactly that quote you gave from that bad day at Black Rock. As soon as he said that, I was like, I got to rewatch this movie and talk to this guy about this. Exactly. Exactly. Um, uh, so yes. Yeah, so, so 
Cinemust, go check it out. And then um, I'm just going to kind of pivot back to what you just said, you know, Ian and, and, you know, you kind of catching the drift of his, his passion for the film. Um, did, I didn't know if you wanted to just take a couple of moments. And um, again, it, you know, Ian and I got to meet a lot of people, obviously digitally uh, through, through uh, social media and through doing pods. But I think the way in which we were able to meet people like this is one of the, the benefits of social media. I feel like there are very few but this is one of them, getting to meet similar like-minded people who you want to have a conversation with. So uh, just, uh, yeah, just a few thoughts about Ian. Well, if, if you wouldn't mind, I'd kind of like to share the story of like my first interaction with Ian. Because uh, yeah. I, feel, I feel it kind of sums up why why he was, I considered him such a great friend, even though we'd never met. So I I'd caught on to your guys' show really early because we followed similar you know we follow the 1001 movies book so you guys popped up on my radar quick and i'd catch you on the badlands episode and high plains drifter and you know almost right from the get-go i was a huge fan of the show and i i said well, i gotta do a crossover with these guys i'd love to talk movies with these guys if they if they'll go for it but the the thing was is, is back in those days and not knowing you guys i i felt great coming to you i was like oh, i'd love to talk to adam i think we'd get along great i was terrified <laughs> to talk to Ian because he I mean just those early shows I mean of what we're saying he he had just such a passion and he he could go very positive when he loved something but man when he did not like something or if it even just didn't do it for him like there was there wasn't a lot of middle ground it seemed like it was fire and brimstone and he didn't give a crap what you thought so we we reached out we hooked up and you guys can you know, we, you came on to talk Pulp Fiction and Memento and I had Ian set up to come talk about a British horror double feature with Don't Look Now and The Wicker Man, and I like the whole week leading up to that I was just like terrified I was gonna say something <laughs> stupid that was just gonna set him off and he was gonna hate my guts and I'd burn you know half of this bridge between our shows, um, and I mean as soon as we picked up that call and started talking I mean all that went straight out the window. I've, I've rarely like connected with somebody so instantaneously. He was so funny and genuine and just real. And we, you know, that's a long episode for us. I think that episode pushes over two hours or at least close to it. Yeah. But yeah. For as much time as we spent on Mike, we spent an e almost an equal amount of time just shooting the breeze before we even hit record on that. So if, if anybody goes back and listens to that show, know that that's probably like, half of the conversation that was had that day because he and I would just go back and forth and and then you know after that like we just hit it off and like you you've said one of the blessings of, of doing this and podcasting is I've I've met tons of people like yourself who I consider very good friends even though I've never met them and Ian was, was really one of my best podcasting friends and I loved messaging him about stuff and I even loved pushing his buttons about things we we had it's never seen the light of day, but we had this inflammatory debate between Close Encounters of Third Kind and E.T. We were always pushing each other's buttons about that. Um, so, yeah, just I, just one of the most genuine people. And, and like I said, I was always just raring whenever a movie was new to me or I revisited. I, Ian was always one of the people I wanted to get on Twitter and DM and say, like, hey, what do you think of this? And whether, whether it was good, whether it was bad, it was going to be fun. I knew I was going to be talking with a good friend, and um, I'm very honored to have been able to record uh, the Bad Day at Blackrock show with you guys. I'm honored Ian came on for that. 
uh, British horror double feature Annie came on again to talk Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, and those yep. those interactions, I I'm glad they're archived. I'm glad I have them to to go back to and, and listen to my friend. Yeah, yeah. I um, I, I obviously I share all those sentiments, and and it's it's funny because you know as 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 much as we would get a get together once a week to do the podcast, you know our our wives became friendly once once we all kind of hooked up again and we'd get together you know as often as we could and it was fun you would think you would think as often as we talked about film we wouldn't when we got together and still we would like me and Ian would like we would sneak off and just just so we could talk about movies still (laughs) with like the thing that we do all the time anyway um so I I totally get you I get you and um uh, passion's a word that's thrown around a lot for like a hobby you're really invested in. Ian had a passion for movies. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, I don't know if we ever, and he might've mentioned it a few times on the show, but he, he was doing the critic thing for a while uh, for a website called skewed and reviewed. He did it um, uh, for, I, I don't know, six months, almost a year maybe. Um, and this was wow. kind of right as we kind of reconnected. Cause we, when I went to grad school, we just kind of fell apart cause of distance mm-hmm. and stuff. But um. Yeah, so you know he, you know where my my focus gets split a lot between teaching and theater and film. You know his, I think his was more his hobby was more singularly focused, and mm-hmm. I and I do I I agree. I think it totally comes out uh, on the pod and just anytime you would interact with him. So um, again, you know it's the third one of these, and it's not it's all it will always be true. Ian, we love you, we miss you, and uh, we hope you're hearing this wherever you are. Um, so let's let's get to um, to recommends uh, uh, part of the show that we we created maybe the fourth episode in because we felt like we needed to add something else to it and it's become a staple of the show. So uh, Mike, as our guest, I would love to know what you are recommending this week. It it shares a, a narrative, a thematic link, um, and I mean on an episode coming on where I want to honor Ian, there's there's no better way for me to do that than to throw something out there that would have just pissed him off. <laughs> On so many levels. Um, my, my recommend this week is another POW kind of adventure comedy. It's a Billy Wilder movie. I love Billy Wilder. It's Stalag 17. And th- this would have just gotten Ian's goat on so many levels. One, because I know this particular movie he wasn't the biggest fan of. Um, I, I If I had to guess, I would say it's because he loves Great Escape so much and it would have to live in its shadow. Also, he did not like William Holden. And this is the movie that William Hol- William Holden won what is by his own admission, a makeup Oscar for best actor. Um, but it's, it's a POW movie. It's, it's set in Stalag 17 is the title. It's about this barracks who uh, continually try these escape attempts, but lately all of their subterfuge and escape plans, they, they keep getting uncovered by the commandant and it makes them believe that there is an informant in the barracks who's tipping the Germans off to all these things they're trying to do. And William Holden plays um, one of these sergeants who's kind of the lone wolf and he he doesn't have any of the idealism as the other guys. He's kind of just in it to wait out the war and so he does it by you know running a lot of rackets and accumulating the wealth you can have in a place like that to yeah. you know bribe the guards and live comfortably and everybody hates him for it and suspicion is cast on him is he the the stool the stoolie um and and you know i i still like it it's it's not as great as it once was i was introduced to it in high school in a, in a filmmaking class i loved it then it, it's not as great now i it plays it paints with some very broad strokes comedically speaking especially through this this pair 
Um, one of them who, who is just called Animal because he's just big hulking guy, and you know they they do a lot of like real slapsticky like over the top comedy. But I I still like it, and I I you know Ian didn't like William Holden, I loved William Holden, and one one of the you know unrealized dreams that makes me sad is I. I ha- you you don't know this Adam. I have a checklist for like consistent hosts on Cinemus that I'm always like I want someday I want to talk about this with this person and sometimes it's cuz it's an area of expertise and sometimes it's just to piss them off. I always wanted to talk about a William Holden movie. It didn't really matter to me, but I I wanted Ian to come on and have to talk about William Holden for an hour with me. Um so yeah, Stalag 17. I think it's a fine movie. I'll I'll throw this one up for you Ian. I, it's not as good a movie as The Great Escape. <laughs> yeah um yeah i mean you said it and uh and again and that was the thing uh and and there, and i will mention this a, a handful of times when we get into the meat of the episode but you know ian and i knew each other for so long that we knew how to razz each other you know we knew how to do it where like n- no harm intended at all like yeah. we're just doing it because we go way back and um yeah the holden thing like like in between our Billy Wilder movies that we did going from um, Sunset Boulevard to the apartment, man, he came back just, just so not a Holden fan. And it, it made me laugh. Um, I still haven't seen it. I, although uh, as I just, as I talked about last week in our Lawrence of Arabia episode, um, you know, I think he's, I think Holden is fine in, um, in bridge on the river Kwai. Cause that was a, yeah. a, a movie that I had watched kind of to get in the lean world. Um, but he, he he Ian was so against it. I still like. I'm I'm hesitant to watch it. I just feel like I'm just not gonna like it because he was <laughs> he just hated it so much. Um, but I think it's a great recommend. Uh, not just because of the world that it uh, it it encompasses in, in its relation to the Great Escape, but you're absolutely right. What a perfect pick. A little a little nudge towards him, and and I think he would have totally. I think he would have dug it in the absolute right way. Yeah. Um. My recommend uh, is not anywhere close to this world. Uh, I mean, not even in its in its themes, in its storytelling, in its year that it was released, or or even the fact that it's not a live action movie. Um, and and this is a movie that has been on my radar for a long time, and I finally watched it the other night, and it actually it's really profound in its, its own weird way. So I don't know if you're familiar with the animation of Don Hertzfeld, uh, but. I watched a movie of his called It's Such a Beautiful Day. Um, before I get to um, uh, what it's about, Don Hertzfeld, uh, is this, he's this obscure, absurd cartoonist. Um, if you go on YouTube, he has this thing, I think it's called Rejected, and it's these series of short, weird animations, and they don't really make any sense. There's, there's, there's a, there, at one point, there's a giant banana with legs that's holding a spoon, and a bowl, and the spoon is as big as he is, and he goes, "My spoon is too big," and it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> but like the 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 comedy is so random and it's so inane. But eventually, you get that it's this is what he's going for, and it's kind of brilliant. So, it's such a beautiful day is about this guy, this normal guy. Uh, again, this is like stick figure cartoons, and he basically finds out. I think that he has dementia or Alzheimer's. It's never he's never it's never said, but he has a disease, and. As he as the movie goes through, he he starts to sort of go through his own mortality and his memories and and what's going to happen when he passes away, and it's weird and it's also very funny and very biting and very what am I watching at times? But 
at the end of it, it's like an hour and 12 minutes, but you get to the end of it and it, it feels like you've kind of experienced something in this way where it's not totally spelled out. And the randomness of the lines feels like the randomness of life sometimes. And, and, and what, and what this, what this stick figured animated character is going through. Um, there's this really, really kind of poignant moment where he goes to leave his house because he thinks he's getting better. And the, the action keeps repeating itself because he walks around his building thinking that he's going somewhere. And each time he gets to the front of it, he doesn't realize he's did what he need to do. So he keeps making these it's, it's like, and, but like the first part is so funny and then it gets really touching. And I don't know. I, I definitely have been in a, a mood lately where if I'm watching something of my own free will and not, not for a podcast, I picked like mindless, like just God awful schlock because it's just fun to not have to think that much. Or I've mm-hmm. kind of leaned into the poignancy of just kind of where I've been headspace wise lately. And this one, this one pushed me to the, to like to the, to the peak without having me tip over emotionally. I thought this was a, gr- it was a great movie. It's not too long. It's hard to find. I think you have to get it through Vimeo because Don Hertzfeld is not an on the radar kind of guy. He definitely is not. He's mm-hmm. like definitely anti-capitalistic and his stuff is, is is weird but if you can find it if you can find this movie i i highly recommend it's such a beautiful day i'm totally and i th- i think surreal obscure animation like that is always really really interesting to watch so if i can dig it up i'm in yeah yeah it's 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 weird but it's i yeah i, re- I recommend it i recommend it um so there we go uh, a weird obscure pick from me which also seems like something I would do and a nice ribbing of Ian pick. I, I love it. I, I think it's that's, that's, that's choice. That's a great pick. Um, so here we go. We are to the great escape. Um, this is from 1963 uh, directed by John Sturgis, uh, who has two other films in the book. As we've mentioned, we discussed bad day at black rock before with you, Mike um, and his, his other film in the book is gunfight at the okay corral. Now I, I don't, know if i know this or knew this prior to a while ago but you seem to be a a fan of westerns just a smidge yeah they're my favorite genre okay and i and 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 i because i know you had stuff on twitter and uh one of your more recent episodes well maybe not anymore but um you had an episode on the oxbow incident which you know gave me a movie that i owned and hadn't seen and that was a good prompt to get me to watch it um so i i i watched this yesterday uh, I'm curious to know just quick gunfight at the OK Corral thoughts. So I kind of have to go off residual memory. It's been a good 10 years since I've seen it. I guess for the purposes of looking at it from the book standpoint, I don't know that I'm totally down with it. And almost solely because my darling Clementine is also in the book. And if you're going to go with the OK Corral movie, I think you have to go with my darling Clementine. Um, gunfight at the OK Corral is is good like as i remember i'm i i think that the thing is like i feel it gets overshadowed because that is such a popular event to uh dramatize in westerns i mean tombstone did it and most of the other like tombstone and my darling clementine i would probably recommend over it and objectively speaking it's probably a better movie than tombstone but you just can't resist val kilmer as doc holiday like yeah you just gotta go for it um I, it'd be an interesting one to revisit and do a deep dive on, but that was kind of always one I looked at and said, like, I'd be okay kicking that one out for something else. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, the, it's funny because it's, it, I just watched it yesterday. So, I mean, yeah, I think 
Burt Lancaster and Kirk Douglas are, are great in it. Um, yeah. Uh, I also, it's so hard because I have the, the gunfight at the OK Corral. <laughs> yeah. it, and I love that the guy sings exactly what's going on. It, it's, it, it made me audibly laugh because I thought it was like, perfect. Yes, I need somebody singing over the long horse rides. I, that's what I need. Yeah. Um, yeah. But my, my short response is that it was fine. But I also think that if we want to have another John Sturgis Western in there, can't we yeah. just put in the Magnificent Seven? Yeah. And and you run into the same problem because Seven Samurai is already in there. And if you're gonna if you're gonna pick, I mean, obviously. But I that's exactly what I was just about to say was yeah I, yeah. If you're gonna do one, like you gotta. But but I wonder if maybe that's not the route they went because if you're gonna have like a star-studded John Sturge's joint to put in the book, like well, we've got Great Escape, so maybe sure. let's try to get like maybe a lesser-known what what they maybe see as underrated movie in there and. It's hard for me to say if it's underrated just because, like you said, I, I think it's a, a decent, good movie, but it's nothing spectacular. Yeah, yeah. Hard hard to say, but uh, but yeah, so so um, there you go. Quick, so just some quick gun, gunfight at the OK Corral slash Magnificent Seven thoughts there for you. Um, so uh, this was written by uh, James. Well, so the credited writers are James Clavel and W.R. Burnett. Although um, it was really, I, I did watch one of the bonus features on the Criterion, which again, uh, I haven't done this in a while, but Criterion, lovely, lovely, great escape uh, rendition. Oh, yeah, ah, there it is. Yeah, Mike's I got, got it, it too. Lovely. Um, uh, I purchased I re- at Ian's oh. behest, by the way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Another. exactly. I had, I totally, I had to blind buy it. Um, six writers, eleven versions of the script. And an unhappy Steve McQueen. Um, uh, it, it just uh, so much, so much to go to go on the the screenplay alone. Um, I don't want to. I don't want to get to the Steve McQueen part of it yet because I, I again I was really interested by that. But yeah, I mean, I, six six writers, eleven versions of the script. That is that's bananas. And and I like I don't I don't like getting small line changes, you know. But like six ver- or 11 versions of the script that's just that's a lot i i, I and I, and you're on location you're filming a long movie mm, yeah that's a lot that's a lot kudos kudos to everybody on board for for just plowing through doing it i know and i mean like like you said some writers i i, I didn't get to watch any of the special features but i did listen to both of the commentaries and and they were talking a lot about that and it's like oh this, you know this guy came up with the baseball thing and that's like his major contribution and I was thinking that, okay, like how kind of great that you contributed one of the most iconic parts of the movie, but also how disheartening that in this three-hour movie with all these other collaborators, like that was that was your big contribution. Yeah, I know. I, I, maybe it's one of those like I I I know in my heart I did what I did kind of things. Um, and I and and I again I feel like through our, through our interactions, I, you were, I'm just gonna take a step. You read a lot. Have you read this this book? I have not read the greatest. Okay, I I for, t- stab in the dark. Total, just yeah. figured we'd we'd see. Get um, on the list. All right, so then yeah, we got it. We'll talk about we'll talk about this cast really quick. I'll just kind of go through. Now there are a lot of people. There are a lot of people in this movie. If I, you know me, if I leave somebody out, please give them some love. But I think I'm gonna hit the big players and then some of the smaller ones too. So, uh, we have Steve McQueen as Virgil Hiltz, James Garner as Bob Hendley, Richard Attenborough as Bartlett, James Donald as uh, Captain Ramsey, Charles Bronson as Danny, Donald Pleasance as Colin Blythe, James Coburn as Lewis Sedgwick. Uh, okay, 
I'm going to go with, I'm just going to say it's Hans. Hans Mesmer as uh, Von Luger. He is the, the head of the, the camp. Uh, David McCallum as uh, Ashley Pitt. John Layton as Willie Dix. That's sort of the right-hand guy to, um, uh, to Charles, uh, Charles Bronson. Angus Lenny as Ives. Nigel Stock as Cavendish. And then the last one I wanted to call out because he gets he's in one of my favorite scenes was Robert Graff as Werner. Um, <laughs> I might have left somebody out. If you want to give some love, I'm, let, let's hear it. Oh, man, I don't know if you've left anybody out, but like you said, in a, in a cast this stacked, like, be very easy to lose track of somebody. Um, God, as, as far as love to give, one of, like, the big surprises, I, I hadn't seen this movie in probably, like, 15 years. It, it basically, it had been like I hadn't seen it before. There were yeah. very few things I remembered, and I was kind of blown away by how endearing I found a lot of these real bit performances. And I think Ives is kind of one of the big ones that stood out and made a big impact, especially considering like what that character is there to do dramatically speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's some, I want to talk about a little later, but that might be spoiling like my unsung heroes and stuff. So maybe, maybe I'll just let my love kind of get woven through the, the regular old conversation. Sounds great. Sounds great. Uh, so moving on to accolades, this movie uh, had one Academy Award nomination for editing, and it, uh, it lost to How the West Was Won. First question regarding this one this one accolade. Have you seen How the West Was Won? Yes. It's ha- fine. I don't agree yep. with this win. <laughs> okay, cause, because um, I, I have a note later on where I go, I haven't seen How the West Was Won, but it should not have won Best Editing. Um, and I... I that was one thing I had. I think the editing that happens um, post breakout mm-hmm. is really good, mm-hmm. really good. And, and I, again, I'll save those those later thoughts too. Um, and just kind of an extension of the Academy Awards. I just I would like to list off the five films that were nominated for Best Picture this year. Um, oh yeah, the nominees were How the West Was Won. Haven't seen uh, America America, which I think is an Elliot Kazan film. Also haven't seen. Cleopatra, which as much as I want to for the sheer, um, like, <laughs> I hear just how bad it was, I don't want to devote almost four hours of my time to it. Have you seen Cleopatra? I have. And, and for the same reasons as you, it's like, maybe I want to watch the train wreck, but also couldn't I spend my time more wisely? Yes. Yeah, I would think so. Um, so then these next two I watched this week because so I watched uh, Lilies of the Field. Have you seen Lilies of the Field? No. I don't know why I thought this was going to be a different movie. Uh, it is. Uh, it's very lighthearted. It's very comedic. Um, I think it's Sidney Poitier is most charming. Um, I think he's very fun. It's. It's. I. I thought it was going to be a very serious movie. It is not. He. He's a guy on the road who ends up helping a bunch of German nuns build a chapel in Arizona, and it's. All right. It's like it's like a clashing of worlds, and he's he's a he's a funny nice guy, um, but the winner that year was a movie called Tom Jones. Mm-hmm. Have you seen Tom Jones? So so here's the thing, and I think listeners of Cinemas can track this because not very long ago I had um, Maggie Kellett and Ian Bailey from the Best Pictures podcast. The longstanding shame is they have told me for so long how I really need to see Tom Jones, and it is like the sleeper Best Picture winner of the 60s. It's so great. And to my shame, as of this recording, I still haven't watched it. That It's that parent life you're talking about. I just can't find the time to sit down. So tell me about it. This movie is... It is so fucking weird. I don't... Like, it's about Tom Jones, and 
he is this we oh god i I don't even want to say too much because it, it, it's like a farce. And as it mm-hmm. plays through, information comes out. So I, I don't want to say too much except for he, he, he's discovered in the bed of a nobleman and uh, it's not his kid and it was somebody else's. And so he's like, I'm going to take this kid as my own and bring him up. And um, he becomes the heir of this wealthy guy. But Tom Jones is kind of a, you know, he's kind of a scoundrel. He's kind of a hound dog. He's kind of, he drinks a lot and he hunts and he goes after girls. Um, but it's so tongue in cheek. It's so and like a lot of it gets played directly to camera. The editing is bananas. Uh, Hugh Griffith, who plays the Sheik in Ben Hur, is like a crazy rich guy who is the father of a girl that he likes. And and Hugh Griffith, if we thought he was going for it as the Sheik, dialed it even further for this role. I mean, he is just off the chain. Um. But it's it's also so crazy that it's kind of fascinating. Do you know what I mean? Like it is mm-hmm. like it's yeah. it's like it's like a train wreck, right? I don't want to look at it, but it's hard. I, I but I want to watch it. It's it was bananas. It was this weird movie. I I don't know where it would fall like in like a ranking of the best picture winners, but it is it's a sight to behold. I don't even know how else to say it. It was a weird, interesting movie. <laughs> now I'm even more. Int- I got. I really got to get to it. It's yeah. It's it's. Yeah, I don't. I mean, it's tough, and and well, I'm sure we'll go through as we talk about this. But I like, I don't. I I actually think there's a lot of weird nominees this year, but I I don't know. You know, it's pre 1968, so yeah, exactly, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and then not too many like uh, accolades of the time. It was up for uh, Golden Globe for best drama at the time. It lost to a movie called The Cardinal. Uh, the National Board Review had it in the top ten that year, and it has a Writers Guild of America nomination. It is currently 141 on the imdb 250 between two very different films the wolf of wall street and judgment at nuremberg what what a what a three interesting different very long films there (laughs) back to back um it has a uh 94 percent critical and 95 percent audience score um we're to sort of the uh the critical section mike you mentioned you had uh somebody you wanted to read from so yeah, little little snippets, and I kind of picked this review just because there were things that this reviewer, whose name is Bob McCabe, writing for Empire Magazine, he kind of just had like a couple things that had popped in my mind when the movie was over, and then reading this, I was like, oh, somebody somebody gets it. So I guess um, Bob McCabe says there's something fundamentally British about The Great Escape. <laughs> Obviously, it's a largely British story in the first place, even though it was made by an American studio and featured a bundle of American actors, some equipped with uncertain accents. James Coburn's Aussie number, take a bow. It's kind of the, one of the first points that hit me. Um, kind, of, kind of skimming through his uh, review a little, I kind of wanted to point out that this section um, is kind of what I want to get to in my unsung hero section, but I'll kind of just give it now. Uh, he writes, it could be argued that given their leniency in embracing the production of a film that dealt with such recent history, the German characters were appropriately mellowed. But this worked in the film's favor. Ironically, for a film about the Allies' escape methodology, The Great Escape often finds its heart in the performance of Hans, or Hans Mesmer, the newly appointed Captain Co- Uh, Camp Commandant, Colonel von Luger. His comment to Flyer Hiltz that we are both grounded for the duration of the war, plus his reluctance to return the Heil Hitler salute to the SS, served to humanize a country that less than 20 years before had been pilloried for the actions of a rather short and deeply horrendous tyrant. No mean feat for a patriotic all-star action movie. Um, And I, I guess that's 
I know you guys have done this, so I guess I don't feel bad messing up your show format, but Hans Mesmer is my unsung hero. <laughs> sure. Um, for, for those reasons, I think that his character and his performance is something that kind of digs this movie out of the tongue-in-cheap, Hogan's Heroes-esque, you know, war picture and really, as he wrote, like humanizes... Um, kind of both sides. And I think that there was a lot of meat in those scenes. And I honestly wanted more of them. In, in a movie sure. that's almost three hours long, I was like, I'll, I'll watch eight more minutes if we can add some well, of this stuff. I'll, and I'm definitely going to talk. There's something I want to say about the length of the movie, too, um, uh, in a little bit. Uh, and so obviously, you know, if, if you follow the show, even even a little bit, you know, if, if I can find a review from the, the late, great Bosley Crowther, uh, I'm going to do it. It's interesting because... Um, I mentioned him last week in the Lawrence of Arabia episode and Bosley Crowther did not like Lawrence of Arabia. Um, and so it's going to be fun to, to read a, a chunk of this one. So uh, here we go. The boast is in that every detail in the new film, the great escape is the way it happened that every incident in this gaudy account of a massive breakout of Brit British and American flyers from a maximum security German prison camp in World War II was based on fact, as documented by Paul Brickhill in his 1950 book. That may be. I've no way of proving that a few of the wilder episodes in this overlong melodrama, which opened yesterday at the DeMille and Coronet, are so far beyond plausibility that they could not have happened any place. And since I've seen most of them in other pictures about cheeky prisoners of war, three or four in the past year, I must assume that they are derived from common lore. But nobody is going to con me, and not least the director John Sturgis, into believing that the spirit of defiance in any prisoner of war camp anywhere was an arrogant, romantic, and rovish boyish, ro wait, rover boyish as it is made to appear in this film. And nobody's going to induce me with shameless Hollywood cliffhanging tricks designed to stretch the tension until you holler and with a thumping Elmer Bernstein musical score to surrender my reason and my emotions to that sort of fictional fabricated here. I find it artificial from the outset. From the point where a string of trucks arrives in the new prison compound and disgorges a crowd of swaggering bucks, nondescript British and American fellows snarling rudely and pointedly cast casing the joint. And then he, he ends the review by saying, The Great Escape grinds out its tormenting story without a peek beneath the surface of any man, without a real sense of human involvement. It's strictly mechanical adventure with make-believe men. Oh man, Bosley Crowther, he is not he's not doing well for me lately between this and Lawrence of Arabia. Um and you know, and I don't disagree that, you know, I don't think any of the men necessarily get a deep dive, but I also don't again, I I don't think it's that kind of a movie. Um but we'll talk about that more when we when we get to it. Um So the last thing before we jump into kind of plot and thoughts would be um Hey Mike do you do you like lists? I love lists. And I do too. I love lamp. I've got one right here. This is my favorite lamp. I love this lamp right here. Mm. Um so uh and and especially cuz this this was Ian's bag for a long time. He was trying to find more um obscure sort of uh uh different kinds of lists, just avoiding the typical BFI AFI thing. So I found this list from a guy named Paul Gibran, who I think wrote for, a, I think, a website called Pop Matters. And this is from 2013. And this is a list of the best escape movies. Um, most of these I, I get and agree with. There's a few where I'm like, uh, I don't, this is just not right. So uh, number 10, we have The Poseidon Adventure, which I haven't <laughs> seen, but I know, yep, we're trying to get off this boat. 
Good cheesy fun. I love it. Yeah. There you go. Uh, number nine. I, I'm curious to, to gauge your reaction off of this. Um, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. <laughs> I'm a gigantic Ferris Bueller fan, and I haven't revisited it in, in a while, so I, I worry that maybe a lot of things about it haven't aged well. But I, for the sheer cheekiness of it, can really get behind that because it's not. It's just not just another prison movie. You know, this is a, a different time of prison, and I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm down for it. Okay. Okay. Great. Uh, number eight was a movie that I liked, but Ian loved, and it was a recommend and a replacement once uh, when we on our audition episode. Number eight is Cube, which um, mm. is all about trying to escape. But uh, it's like, how can you? Have you seen Cube? Yeah, I, I guess I as an escape movie, yeah, it's really. I, I don't really particularly enjoy Cube just because of the forced like characterization and and melodrama. But as like an escape movie and concept wise, is is great. Sure. Um, Number seven is Papillon, which is another movie I know that Ian enjoyed. I, well, I haven't seen it, but um, yeah, me neither. Stephen Queen. Yes, exactly. Yes, exactly. Um, number six. So I need help here because I don't. I don't. So number six is the Michael Mann directed Public Enemies, and is it just like is it is it Dillinger like escaping from the law? The whole. I, I guess yeah. Criminal I, I mean, on the Run. I mean, Public Enemies is not a great movie. And not even a great escape movie. Um, oh, see what I did there? Uh, but it's just not. Yeah, I don't know. That's the that was the one on this list more than any others where I was like, yeah, no. Yeah, so no, far I, that's I, the only one I'm not really digging. Yeah, I, and I, the, the next five, you're, I guarantee you're gonna be on board with. Uh, and right. I and I haven't I haven't seen two of them. Um, number five is Escape from Alcatraz. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right, right there in the title. Number yep. four again in the title, Escape from New York. Haven't seen. Oh, Snake Plissken. What a yeah, that's a I good one. I, I I'm I'm trying to up my John Carpenter game. I, I, I haven't seen too many of his th- I've seen some of the biggies, but not all of them. So Yeah. I mean putting yourself in the headspace of knowing like the type of movie it aspires to be like like right with a Poseidon adventure, like just go in like you know what it is, like don't take it too seriously. It's it's great. You if you can buy into like the the concept that New York has become this prison island and like this suicide squad esque, like the president's yeah. plane is down and we get the only guy we can hire is this wanton crit. Like if you can get on board with it, like you're going to have a blast. It's a great movie. Nice. By the way, the suicide squad, I, I had a blast watching that. Still need to see it. I had a blast. Um, and then these next three, I, I, I'm, I'm on board. Number three, one of my favorite movies. It was a recommend on the show way early on the raid. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Excellent. Yeah. Escape movie. Holy crap. Yeah. Uh, number two, the Shawshank Redemption? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I know. How do you... Yeah, it's just a great movie. Um, and then number one, the reason why we're here, The Great Escape. Yeah. Um. So, but I don't... this And this isn't another list thing, but I want to bring this up um, because it kind of... It's, it's in the vein of lists, but, it, but not really. Um, so, in one of the many conversations I had with Ian about this movie... He said that this was a once uh, once a year movie for him and that he would watch this uh, on Boxing Day, which I still don't really know what that is. But I do know that it's uh, typically celebrated the day after Christmas. Mm-hmm. I found this thing in the research. It said in a 2006 poll in the UK regarding the family film that television viewers would most want to see on Christmas Day. The Great Escape came in third and was first among the choice of male viewers. And like, I got goosebumps when I read that because I was like, well, no shit. Look at that. Ian was, this was his, 
and I was like, that's perfect. That's just amazing that that all synced up. Um, so that was this. Sorry, that was also a component of that Bob McCabe review. Like I skipped over it, but he mentions like what's so British about it is that it's the holiday. It's the bank holiday. Like that. It's it beats Wizard of Oz and Sound of Music. Like that's so funny. That's so great. Um. So yeah, I so I just yeah just wanted to to quickly mention that and um yeah. So um in terms of the just the quick plot, I mean this here's the thing. Like I'm gonna get through this in like 25 seconds. There's a group of POWs essentially they're putting to quote the movie all the rotten eggs in one basket it's sort of like we're going to put all these these uh these these POWs who are known for escape attempts into one place so we can guard them more intently and uh their one goal as POWs is to break out and we see them kind of beat by beat detail by detail plan how they're going to do it everybody has their different roles um we get to a point where Steve McQueen on his own breaks out comes back doesn't get caught or gets caught, or however you want to think about that, and brings back information, and then a bulk of the men escape, and then we see how they handle their 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 pretty short time out in the real world. Um, I jumped over a lot, but in terms, there's like there's not really a lot of like, and this is not a negative against the script, but there's not a lot of plot. It's as simple as we're POWs, we need to get out of here. And here's what we do to get out. Um, but it's what they do to get out that makes it interesting. Um, so the the first thing I'd like to lead off this conversation with was um, I, I had two very different films that came to mind as I was watching this. And, and they're, they all came, they came out later after this. But um, so one movie that came to mind about halfway through when I realized just how lighthearted and rollicking the film was because I didn't like, so I'll say I've never seen this movie before and I hear POWs trying to escape. I think this is going to be a serious movie and it's not that it isn't serious, but like it is very fun. This is a fun movie. It's a blast. Exactly. And so one of, I had a similar thought of, of, um, I thought of life is beautiful, which is another Mm. movie about a very tough story but about somebody trying to make it lighthearted, not just for his son, but for us as an audience. So I thought of that. But the other comparison, and it's because of this rotten eggs in one basket thing that I couldn't help. Yeah. I couldn't. Did you get Con Air vibes? Oh, no. I thought, no, I did not get Con Air vibes, but that's pretty great. <laughs> you know, we're going to put all of these, all of these really bad people. On, on one plane ah i could I, I was like oh that's so great our our you know steve mcqueen is just nicholas cage you know yeah. that that's our there you go <laughs> um, he never had a bunny to put uh, back in the box he did not he did not <laughs> uh, he did have a he did have his ball in his glove though that was oh yeah uh, that he was, was something town on that thing um okay so so mike we're talking about the great escape first thing that comes to mind um, God, epicness is, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, like, and, and I, I'd mentioned earlier, like I had seen the movie before, but so long ago that it was, it was just bits and pieces, wisps of memories. Like I remembered the ending and little, but, it, but to, to me, like half of it was like seeing it for the first time, but I knew, you know, going in, like, this is the big, this is the escape movie, you know, to speak to that list that you shared, like, this is the POW movie. It's the escape movie. And it's this huge cast and all-star cast. Um, and so I, I always think of it first in those terms of just like, what a gigantic undertaking production wise. I mean, even within the story that, you know, this is, 
the great escape because it's it's all the best guys it's it's the best smuggler it's the best tunnel diggers it's the best forgers it's you know and and i think that that is kind of something that really works for it structurally is like like you said it's such a simple setup but it's made all the more interesting that it's not just oh, a bunch of american gis with a with a you know gumption and know-how it's all like these are guys who are famous across the front for breaking out of everywhere and we're going to put them all together and see what happens. Yeah, I that you know, you say that brings up two thoughts. The first and I want I'll stick with um uh the the characters. You know, I I I love a good movie where everybody has a role or a nickname and when we can see that the specific details of something and you know, specifically the moment where um we see them move the stove and connect the pipe so that it keeps burning mm-hmm. and the, the the craftiness of how they can clip it out and get down there. Like the the creativeness of it and watching the details and watching all the specific things is what like it, it's what elevates it. It's not just yeah, it's not yeah. just people digging to get out. It's it's the the long, arduous process of 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 how they're doing what they're doing. Right, the patient professionalism. I mean, that aside from just like the the giddy defiance that's kind of set up, that was kind of the first thing I picked up on rewatching it. I was like, I think I love this movie. Was like, just how meticulous it's going to go through every stage. That it's like, okay, you want to have a movie about them digging a tunnel underground? Well, let's, you know, what about dirt disposal? How are you going to see down there? You, you know, you got to get air into there. I bet you've never thought of that. So we got to design a bellows, and I. I don't know how you feel about this. I feel like this movie is very often mislabeled in an attempt to garner enthusiasm for it. It is constantly touted like it's one of the best action movies of all time. The back of the Criterion box calls it one of the most exciting adventure tales ever told. And it's not that I disagree. It's not that I'm saying it's not exciting, but I think that that always kind of short sells it because I think they're trying to put it into this category of like it's a high octane you know, thriller and Steve McQueen's on a motorcycle and then you know you watch it and like the joy is not that it's like balls to the wall action it's like look at how professional these guys are and like how good they are at the, like that is the joy of it is just how they keep sneaking this stuff and how they keep coming up against problem after problem and solving it the, the movie I kind of went to linkwise was Apollo 13 which is another movie about like we're in it guys and we got limited resources but it doesn't help us to sit here and mope about it like Let's get to work and let's solve some problems. Yeah. yeah, that was as a first view. Um, I was I was instantly captivated by, like these people are still like basically on the truck and they're already casing it. They're already yeah. <laughs> planning the escape, and again, not not knowing what I was walking into, it already like I I remember I was I was you know I was sitting back. I had my my laptop my laptop on my lap and I'm I'm taking notes and we're not even that far in and I kind of sit up and I'm like, what, what am I watching? And I was already way more engaged. I thought it was going to be more, more passive, more dramatic. And it instantly wasn't, it instantly mm-hmm. gets you going, what are these guys doing? And that's, you know, I, I love the idea that every movie should be a mystery in that we should never know exactly what's going to happen next. Or, and we shouldn't always know what the characters are thinking. So in that opening 10 minutes and like people are looking at dirt, they're looking at fences, they're checking up the guard towers. It's like, Okay. All right. You're you you are already up to planning this great escape. Um, and but it's, when you, it's really sorry, just real quick. But I always like to speak to competent filmmaking. And you just said like so much of that 
is great showing not telling that I, I yes. think a lesser movie would have this that it opens with like a new squad being shipped in and so it'd be an exposition dump like oh you're new here huh sergeant well you know see that wire over there and make sure you don't cross that the jerry's will light you up and instead you know you just see steve mcqueen walk up to the wire and look at the tower and you're like you get what happens to anybody that walks on the other side of that yeah yeah um but you you also mentioned uh, its epicness, and I I'm coming off of a weird run where so last week I talked about um, Lawrence of Arabia, and in prepping for that I wanted to watch other lean films, so I also watched Bridge on the River Kwai and mm-hmm. Doctor Zhivago, and then yeah. I went on I went on Best Picture cast and I talked about Ben Hur, mm-hmm. so I've watched oh, man, all of these really you're in it. I know I know it's it's God it's been a long week um or a couple of weeks, but like I look at all of those movies. And they're all long. And there are, I easily think there are parts of all of those movies that you can cut. Um, with Dr. Shivago, I, I don't know why you made the movie in the first place. But, uh, um, amen. <laughs> but, but like, and even a movie as good as Lawrence of Arabia, I think there's, I, little, I mean, there are little things that you could, yeah. you could trim down or cut or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But like, and Ian and I have frequently said about movies on the pod, like that was the longest hour and a half movie I've ever seen. And that like, it was a slog. This was the shortest, almost three hour movie I've ever seen. I, wow. it was over and I was like, no, oh, it's, it's actually, it's done now. And the movie's over. Like, seriously. Like I couldn't believe when it was over. I was like, oh man, that's it. Now it's done. Because for everything that you just said and what we've been talking about, I never once wavered. I was, I was always in it. And I know we talked about the, the number of screenwriters and versions of the script, but whatever they did, they left no stone unturned. Every, everything that was referenced early on came back. Um, you know, we, you, you, um, and the, the, and just the, the fun creative things, the way they sang over the hammering, the way that they signaled back and forth. I, I, I don't, I don't know. I just like, I thought it was such a smart script and my, my unsung heroes off screen are not the screenwriters, but I do think that for it being kind of ramshackle together as it was, I think the finished product, obviously it's there, it's there on the screen. And I think it may, I think it makes sense. I'm surprised. You know, I don't know what Bosley Crowther was expecting, but I, I think what we got was was really good. So I there, there's kind of an element of Crowther's review I can kind of get behind because his his biggest beef is like how lighthearted it is. And, and I think that what he was looking for was like kind of more of the somber, like, you know, let's not pretend like it was great in here. Let's not pretend. And, and I think one thing, if I'm going to give Stalag 17 a little credit, I think Stalag 17 kind of sells the hardships of being in a POW camp a little more in terms of, you know, ter- terrible living conditions and being starving and the cold and things like that. You know, you know, the great escape is so focused right from the get-go on the escape. There, There is not a period of getting climatized to just being in a POW camp because none of them are in it for that they're all like you said the second they're in there they're already like jumping off roofs into you know flatbeds with trees or they're trying like (laughs) that's that's the focus of the great escape and i I think that's where he was coming from is like you know in in a subject so serious that you know our real veterans experience i he probably felt it was a disservice that 
the whole thing was played as like, hey, you're in the club too, and isn't it fun, and we're really sticking it to the Germans. But at the same time, like you said, I think he's off base that the, the movie has no room for, for humanization or, or delving into who these guys are. I mean, right from the get-go, when they throw um, Hills and Ives into the cooler and they kind of have that nice moment about, like, well, what do you do? You play baseball back home. I'm a jockey. and you know, Those are nice moments that, that build, yeah, again, not like the deepest characterization, but, I mean, that scene alone makes it hit so hard when Ives snaps and is dangling yeah. there from the barbed wire after they light him up. Well, and, and oh, God, see, there's so much to talk about. Um, uh, y- y- Yes, and, and it's funny because I, I, think, I think maybe one of the key lines to this movie and really helping us understand the lightheartedness is one of the lines that um, uh, Richard Attenborough says, and, and the names are going to, uh, where is it? Bartlett, that Bartlett says that it is his duty to harass, confound, and confuse the enemy to the best of my ability. And those, the, the choice of words is interesting, to harass, confound, and confuse. That it's not about surviving, it's about making the life for the Germans harder. And that the way in which they're going about it, and I think it's that line and it's, the, it's uh, all of Von Luger's lines about, you know, this guy had six attempts and 17 attempts. And one guy tried to escape on the truck. And it's like, I, I don't know. I think, I mean, I hear Bosley's issue with it being maybe a little too lighthearted, but it's not like it waits until halfway through the movie to decide what it wants to be. We get it from the get-go. And it's, you know, and I, I guess if he did, my, my total guess is that he just didn't buy it from the beginning. And yeah, I think if you can't, I, if you can't buy into a movie this long early on, it's going to be almost three hours of like, I just don't like this. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and he even goes so far, he calls out like how the pacing drug on it. And I, I putting myself in his headspace, I would think approaching it in that mind space, you'd be like, okay, three hour movie, that is plenty of time to go through like the day to day in a prison. Like that is plenty of time to really saturate yourself in, you know, the, the, the fun defiance, but also the the lows as well. And, and I guess he just wasn't seeing that, but I, I mean, when you're looking for it. It's there. I mean, th- take the, the cooler itself. I mean, talk about a hell on earth and, and not that the movie dwells on it, but when those guys are first marched in there and it like really sinks in, like he's got that mitt and that ball and that's it for three weeks. I mean, it doesn't, yeah, it I, doesn't get much more somber than that. I, I was surprised they let him have that in there. I thought the same thing. Every time they threw it to him, I'm like, "What are they? Do- what are they doing?" This, I mean, I, it is a punishment still, but I'm like, you know what? He's he still gets to have that. That's not that's not nothing. It's not like I, I, to reference another movie on that list. It's not like Tim Robbins down in the hole in Shawshank. Like he's got sunlight and a baseball and a glove. I mean, yeah, he's. I think he's doing a, he, okay given the circumstances. 